Well, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, As Andrew said earlier, glad to be able to gather together this morning. And if this is your first time here, it's just good to be together with you and glad that uh, that God brought you here this morning, whether that was through the invitation of a friend or maybe you're just checking out churches or new to the area, Uh, whatever happened to have brought you here today. uh, I hope you'll stick around with us for a while and uh, allow us to get to know you and for you to get to know this community um, so we're grateful to be able to be here this morning. My name is Justin, the pastor here, uh, and I'm just excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. So uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew as we have been over the last few weeks. So if you just raise your hand, uh, somebody will bring a Bible around to you if you need that uh, so that you can read along with us this morning. I want you to be able to have God's Word in your hand, uh, and so you can just take uh, that and when you keep your hand up. And if you actually uh, don't own a Bible, feel free to take that with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, This morning, I want you to be able to have access to God's Word uh, throughout the week as well. You know, we live in a pretty uh, interesting time in history now. As our, as our world continues to expand in population, there's more and more people. Uh, globally speaking, the population of the earth continues to increase. While that happens, at the very same time, uh, our world seems to be shrinking in size as we are able to access people, access one another, access information in an instant just with a little device in our hand. It's amazing that we can talk with and interact with people all over the globe with just a few clicks of our thumbs on our phones. And it's a challenging time in our world right now. It doesn't take long for us to flip on the news or look online or read the paper, whatever it happens to be, to recognize the fact that there is a lot of conflict going on in our world right now. We can look all over the place, pretty much in every corner of the globe. There are issues, whether it's war or oppression or poverty or scandal or greed, whatever it happens to be, it's not hard for us to find that. It'd be harder for you to try and not find that kind of stuff out. We have our own issues within our country right now. If we look at our current political landscape, we can see there's challenges that we're being confronted with and having to deal with and looking at our uh, presumptive presidential nominees. And I'm not going to comment on those folks this morning. Maybe I will at some other point in the future. But listen, a common theme that we see throughout history is the reality of conflict. And in the some 3,400 years of recorded history, just kind of actual recorded history, uh, a study's been done that out of those 3,400 years, there were only about 268 of those years that had no wars at all. 268 out of 3,400 years, our world has been in conflict. And it's, but it's not just national conflict and, and global conflict that we've dealt with or we've been a part of or that we've seen throughout history. We can see that even on the interpersonal, relational level that that's existed as well. We go all the way back to our first parents, to, to Adam and Eve, and see that conflict existed. As they rebelled against God, they were in conflict with God and conflict with one another. As they blame-shifted, pointing fingers and blaming one another and, uh, and the reality of the difficulties that they had found themselves in. And that continued on. Right after that, their first children are in conflict with one another and one of them ends up killing the other one. So we can go all the way back in history and see this conflict going on. But conflict is a result of brokenness and brokenness is a result of sin our rebellion against God, our rebellion against His ways. And while conflict is universal and present, I think we can all acknowledge that. Something else that I think is equally present with, with pretty much every person that's ever existed is also the desire for peace. And we could ask most people, what would you desire if you can look at the world and we say, man, I, I long for there to be peace 
a world without conflict, and at every level without conflict, both personally and communally and within society and just in creation as a whole, we long for there to be peace. And that doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. I think all of us desire for there to be peace in an absence of conflict. But while most everyone desires peace, it seems this peace is hard to come by. And so as we get into our text today, we see Jesus' inverted kingdom again. We've been walking through this series in the book of Matthew, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, as Jesus is preaching and teaching, and we're looking at his inverted kingdom, the fact that Jesus' kingdom is very upside down to the way the world promotes things, the way the world does things. And what we see in Jesus' inverted kingdom is that his kingdom is a kingdom of peace, and that a characteristic of his kingdom people is being peacemakers, peacemakers. And Sojourn, this is going to be challenging for us today. As I was studying this this week, this text, this one verse this week, it was super challenging and convicting to me. But I also believe that this can be a life-giving and hope-producing truth for us this morning. And the reason for that is this, not because we can figure this out on our own, not that we can make ourselves to be the people that God calls us and wants us to be, The reason that we can be peacemakers, even in the difficulty of brokenness in our world and our lives, is not because we're capable, but because we have a very capable God. And He is faithful to work in our lives to make us and mold us to be more and more like Jesus. And so my hope today is that He'll do that in your life. He'll do that in my life. He'll do that in the life of this church. That as we allow ourselves to sit under the Word of God, Allow the Spirit to work in our hearts and lives that He will bring about transformation in our time together this morning. So let's pray towards that end as we open up God's Word. Father, I just pray this morning that You would meet us here. That You would help us this morning. Father, as we look at one verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and see this call, the characteristic of Your kingdom people to be peacemakers. I know for myself this morning, that immediately brings up the reality that I oftentimes struggle to do just that. So would you meet us in this place this morning? Would you help us? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just gently but clearly work in our hearts this morning to bring about transformation. We are desperate for you to do that. Nothing I say or do this morning can bring that about. It's only by the power of the Spirit that that can happen. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come and work in us and through us in this time today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you haven't already. Again, we've been in this series over the last few weeks, starting in Matthew 5 verse 1. And so, We've been walking through these first few verses, which uh, are often called the Beatitudes. They're blessings that Jesus gives as he begins this sermon on his kingdom. And so we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 9 this morning. Starting in verse 1, chapter 5 says this, Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
sons of God. So as we continue to walk through these Beatitudes where where Jesus is laying out the the reality, the characteristics of his inverted kingdom for his kingdom people, we're going to break down what he says in verse 9 as we focus in there into four points of what he's saying and why it matters. So these are our four points this morning. The priority of peace, the predicament of peace, the promise of peace, and the possibility of peace. The priority of peace, the predicament of peace, the promise of peace, and the possibility of peace. So our first point, the priority of peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. See, oftentimes I think we can hear this word peace in our world and what we think it means, and this is not wrong, it's just the absence of strife. As we just said, we're in a world where there's a lot of conflict, a lot of brokenness, and we can think, well, yes, I long for peace, and what peace means is there's an absence of that. There's an absence of conflict, an absence of strife in our life. We have peace treaties that are signed to say that formal strife and formal conflict has ended. And so when people say they long for world peace, that's generally what they mean, a world without war, a world without conflict. But see, sometimes I think what we can think of when we think of peace is a lot like the cheetahs and the zebras at the National Zoo. Have you been to the National Zoo before? You've seen the the cheetah, cheetah conservation area, right? So you've got all the cheetahs on one side and there's a fence and then there's zebras on the other side. It's like, that's weird, right? Like you get these cheetahs, you're like, they're like pacing back and forth along the fence because dinner's on the other side of the fence. So we can look at that fence and think, well, there's peace here, right? I mean, they're not eating each other. They're not running from one of the zebras aren't running away from the cheetahs. So there's a, a perception of peace. And in some reality, that's true. There is peace. But the reality is if that fence comes down, the demilitarized zone is removed. Someone is getting eaten and someone's getting their tummy filled up. A lot of times I think that's what we think peace is. It's just the absence of this kind of strife. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is speaking of, that the Bible speaks of here in Matthew 5 and throughout all the scriptures. See, the word for peace in the Hebrew language is shalom. Maybe you've heard that word before. Oftentimes it's used as a greeting, shalom. But but it's more far-reaching than just the absence of strife. It's more far-reaching than just the absence of conflict. The word shalom means wholeness. It means harmony. There's a completeness to shalom, to the peace that God is speaking of. And so it's not a fence between cheetahs and zebras to keep them separated and at peace with one another. It's having no fence in the cheetahs and the zebras being able to be together with no death and no destruction, no conflict, no strife. The Bible speaks about this and uses different animals to describe this kind of peace. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, Isaiah says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the ultimate kind of peace that Jesus is speaking of. It's harmony on all fronts. Harmony on all fronts, and it's a priority in Jesus' kingdom, and it's a priority for his kingdom people. But as we've said throughout this series, the reality of the kingdom of God is that there's a now and a not yet to the kingdom of God. There's a reality of the now for the kingdom of God and the fact that Jesus has come, the king has come. 
And wherever the king rules and reigns, the kingdom is present. But the not yet reality is that the fullness of that kingdom has not come because the kingdom of this world continues to rage against the kingdom of God. So when it comes to peace, when it comes to shalom, when it comes to harmony, as Jesus is speaking of, there is also a now and a not yet reality. The now reality of this peace is that we can pursue harmony in the brokenness. But the future reality is that we'll experience harmony without the brokenness. So if we understand peace as shalom, not just the absence of conflict, not just the absence of strife, but actual harmony, then we can ask the question, then what then is a peacemaker? And what does it mean to be about peacemaking? Well, in its most basic form, the word's pretty self-explanatory. A peacemaker is someone who seeks to make peace. They work towards peace. They seek out peace. So being people in a broken world, there are a lot of opportunities for us to do this. There's a lot of opportunities in the midst of conflict to seek out to make peace. It might be conflict or strife in our world or in our country or in our city. It might be conflict or strife in our community with relationships with one another. It might be conflict or strife in your personal life. Maybe it's in your marriage right now. There's conflict in your relationships at home or with your kids or with your neighbors. There's, there's, there's lots of opportunities for us to be peacemakers. And simply put, wherever disharmony exists, peacemakers seek to bring about harmony. So if you want to assess yourself to recognize or realize, am I a peacemaker? Does this describe me? Then ask yourself that question. When you see disharmony, do you move towards it to seek to bring about harmony? See, what Jesus is saying is that this should be normal among God's kingdom people. It should be normal. It should be characteristic of them because Jesus' inverted kingdom is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of shalom. This is a challenge for most of us. If we look at our lives, we recognize that we have difficulty with this. We struggle with this. And for some of you, this seems like a foreign concept to you because you grew up in a home where there was no peace. If there was conflict in your home, it was avoided or was just constant. And so maybe peace for you was running away and hiding or ignoring the reality of the difficulties of your life. And so to hear anything about harmony in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of conflict seems just like a foreign concept, an impossibility for you. But I want you to hear this morning, in the kingdom of God, among his kingdom people, there's a priority of this kind of peace so what does it look like then to be a peacemaker? How can we, can, how can we better describe that? And I think we can learn from this as well to challenge us this morning. See, the people that Jesus was speaking to, and when he originally is preaching this sermon, as he's on this hillside, those that are gathered around him are, are a group of people, a Jewish community, that find themselves in Israel, which is occupied by foreign rulers. The Roman Empire has taken over this land, and so they're, they're being occupied by this foreign army and foreign government. So there's a lot of people in that community that wanted a violent overthrow of their oppressors. They wanted to see these, these occupiers, these oppressors removed and kicked out and, and they could have their, their land back and their home back. And so they wanted a violent overthrow, a military overthrow of this foreign occupying army. So we have to not miss what Jesus is saying here. Understanding that original context there, he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's, he's flipping things on their, their head again. Everybody's expectation that the king of kings would come in and rule with an iron fist. He says, no, I come with peace. I come with a message of peace. So to be about peace, then, you must renounce violence and strife in all forms. 
If you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to renounce violence and strife in all forms. And what I mean is that's both physical and spiritual. We, we can abuse people spiritually, twisting and, sh- and shaping things in a way to oppress them spiritually. And in order to bring about peace, we can justify the ends by the means, right? We can justify the means by the ends. We can say, well, peace is going to come about as long as I do it this way. And so we ignore that. But Jesus is saying, no, peacemakers seek to renounce all of those kinds of things. The same thing's true physically, both with our words and our actions. We renounce any kind of violent activity in order to bring about peace. We have to also understand here, though, that these people would have been wrong, feeling wrong. They would say, but Jesus, these people have wronged us. They've sinned against us. They've hurt us. Don't we, don't we have a right here to assert ourselves? Don't we have a right here to stand up for what is right? And indeed they do. But that's what we need to understand about peacemaking. See, to be a peacemaker is not about being nice. It's not about being tolerant. Being a peacemaker is not a, a laissez-faire or, or, or being an appeaser. You know, sometimes I think we can think we're peacemakers, but really we're just appeasers. We're, we're people pleasers. We, we want to kind of assert peace at all costs. But it's not real peace. We're not dealing with the reality of the situation. See, peacemaking seeks to transcend differences, not ignore them. Peacemaking doesn't ignore sin. It doesn't overlook sin. It has to deal with it. In fact, to be a peacemaker, sin has to be acknowledged. Wrong has to be addressed. And sometimes that's the pain of peacemaking. See, the pain of peacemaking is expressing an interest in making peace, but having to wait until the other person or party is willing to walk in repentance and acknowledge wrongdoing. That's where true relational peace takes place in all situations. It starts with genuine repentance. In in your marriage right now, if you want to have peace and reconciliation in your marriage, both of you have to come with repentant hearts. And sometimes that's the pain because one of you wants to and the other one doesn't. And it requires waiting To say to someone that you want to be at peace with them, but are unwilling to admit wrong, even if it was unintentional wrong, is superficial and self-serving. You have to come with an attitude of humility and acknowledge that in order for there to be real peace. And so a peacemaker dealing with conflict, especially one that you find yourself in, is someone who's slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Proverbs 15 is helpful here. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Oftentimes there is conflict because we live in a broken world, and, but when we respond with gentleness towards those that are coming at us, we can, we can turn that wrath away. Later on in verse 18, Proverbs 15, verse 18, it says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. See, being a peacemaker is about being sober-minded and circumspect. It's being patient and understanding. It requires humility and love and grace and mercy. What this means then is a peacemaker is not a bully. A peacemaker is not a fighter. A peacemaker is not quarrelsome or pugnacious. A peacemaker does not demand his or her own way. A peacemaker does not spread rumors or gossip about other people. A peacemaker is not a slanderer. He or she doesn't stir up discontentment. A peacemaker is not omnicritical or always fault-finding. He or she doesn't withhold forgiveness even for the 70th time. A peacemaker flat out is not a mean person. So to be a peacemaker, it requires that we put forth effort. 
It's inherent in the word, right? A maker of peace. We have to put forth effort to make peace, but this effort must be marked by gentleness and patience. The foundation of peacemaking, of true biblical peacemaking, is love and servant-mindedness. As one pastor and uh, scholar says, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I've referred to him before, he, he wrote this huge treatise on discipleship, and he walks through the Sermon on the Mount in this, and this is what he says about peacemakers. He says, Christ's kingdom is a realm of peace, and those in Christ's community greet each other with a greeting of peace. Listen to this. Jesus' disciples maintain peace by choosing, choosing to suffer instead of causing others to suffer. They preserve community when others destroy it. They renounce self-assertion and are silent in the face of hatred and injustice. That is how they overcome evil with good. That's the way of King Jesus. Peacemaking is a characteristic of his kingdom people. But here's the deal. This is hard. I mean, and frankly, at times it just seems flat out impossible. And that brings us to our second point. While there's the priority of peace in the kingdom of God, there's also the predicament of peace. So you have to recognize Jesus doesn't hold out blessing for the peaceful, for those that have a kind of quiet contentedness about life. That's not who he says this is for. And he doesn't hold out this blessing for those that, that long for it, desire peace, that want to see peace come about, that yearn for it. No, he says the blessing is for the peacemakers, those who are actively working toward peace. But if you and I step back and we look at our lives, we assess our lives, we look at the world around us, we recognize that we constantly fall short of biblical peace and peacemaking. It, it could be related to a group of people who are different than you, different race or ethnicity, different faith, different political persuasion, different socioeconomic status. Or maybe it hits a little bit more close to home for you and an, a very interpersonal and personal level for you. you. You have conflict with a coworker or in your marriage right now with your spouse, a family member, your aunt or your uncle, your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister. Maybe it's with someone who's in this church right now. And maybe it's with someone who's left the church. This has been really challenging to me this week. Ah, very convicting because immediately reading through this, the Spirit in my life, praise God, says there's people in your life right now that you're in opposition to, that you're, that you're at differences with, at odds with right now, and you're, you're not actively seeking peace with them. You're not moving towards them. And uh, I need to confess that to you this morning my community, my family, because I need you to help me as much as you need me to help you. Because the reality is this is inconvenient, and oftentimes, if I'm honest, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. It'd be easier not to pursue peace. But at the core of this, and I think the Spirit has shown me this this week, is a fundamental issue that manifests itself in my life over and over again, and that's this, that most days I love myself way more than I love other people. Can you relate to that in your own life? See, being at peace is easy with those who are like you or who like you. It's difficult and it's challenging to us with those that are different or with those that we have dissonance with that becomes challenging. Blessed are the peacemakers, but so often that isn't us. We don't do this. We 
can't do this. We can't do this. So how in the world can Jesus call his people to this? How can he call his people to this? Blessed are the peacemakers, but Jesus, this is so hard. How can I actually do this? Jesus can call you and call me this morning to this because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he's the ultimate peacemaker. Which leads us to our third point, the promise of peace. See, the greatest source of enmity and strife in every single person's life is interpersonal, and it's with one person. It's with the holy and almighty God. See, all of us are born with this kind of enmity, this kind of lack of peace in our life. We are not naturally peacemakers. We are naturally warmongers. That's who we are with posturing and posing and a lot of pretense in our life. We assert ourselves and our rights and our laws of our little self-sovereign kingdoms. And when anything comes against that, when anything steps on that, when someone steps on our toes or they violate the laws of our kingdom, we're ready to fight, not ready to make peace. And our little self-sovereign kingdoms come against God's kingdom. And so it puts us at enmity with him, but that's what causes relational difficulty in our lives. Oftentimes in your marriage, if you're married, the source of your conflict is over preferences because you've made preferences into laws. And when those laws are broken, you feel sinned against and hurt and you're ready to fight, not make peace. It jacks up relationships. It puts us at odds with one another. But ultimately, the most important place, the most important level we need to see that it puts us at odds with is the living God because we assert our kingdom over his kingdom, our rule over his and the Bible says that we are enemies of God. We're at enmity with him because of this. We are rebels. We are usurpers of God's throne. There's this separation between us and God. He's removed us from his presence because, because of our rebellion against him. We can't be in relationship with him. And it's this eternal distance. This transcendent God that's high and lifted up. We find ourselves falling further and further away from him, more and more distant with him. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't care. We like our own kingdoms. We like to be the king. And so we live in this reality of strife and disorder and conflict. But see, God is a peacemaker. And God has given us a promise of peace to make us right with him, to bring about reconciliation, not in our own doing, but completely in his. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against him, while we were still sitting on our own throne, asserting our own kingdoms, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. How's this reconciliation possible? It's not because you did anything. It's because Jesus did all the work. He came to us. And God gives us the gift of faith to trust in him for reconciliation. That gap that exists between you and God is insurmountable on your own doing. It's not on equal playing fields. You're not on one side and he's on the other side. You are far from him and he reaches down to you through Christ. He brings you to himself. So I give peace to you. I give peace to you. He came to us. That's what peacemakers do. They move towards people. And what's the result? 
Well, verse 1 of Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justification means we're made right with God. He no longer sees our rebellion. He no longer sees our offenses because Jesus' perfect life has been given to us. We're justified by faith. What's the result? We have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, sojourn, peace comes through Jesus and Him alone. Colossians 1.19 says this, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him, through Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. See, peace with God is not a fence between a cheetah and a zebra. The hostility is removed. Peace is proclaimed. Reconciliation in full has occurred. And we are now welcome into the kingdom of God, not as enemies, but as friends. We're welcome into the family of God, not as acquaintances, but as sons and daughters. Who does that? Who does that? We, God has every right to reject us and push us away. Who does that? Who moves towards people to bring peace into their life and bring reconciliation to their relationship? Only the king of an inverted kingdom does that. So let me ask you this morning, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with him? Like legitimate peace peace. Not that at one time you prayed a prayer. Not that you've called yourself a Christian for your whole life. Like, do you legitimately have peace with God, acknowledging the reality that you have been separated from him, that you've rebelled against him, and knowing that it's only in and through Christ that you can be reconciled to God? Do you have that kind of peace with the living God? Because he offers that to you this morning. He offers that to you. You just have to take it. The promise of peace comes through Jesus. So why do I remind you of that this morning? Why do we talk about this this morning when we're talking about being peacemakers? The reason is, is because Jesus is the greatest peacemaker. And he alone makes peace between God and man, and he alone enables peace between man and man. Jesus is both the means and the model for us. He enables us to do this, and he shows us how to do it. He came for us and moved towards us to seek us out. And now he calls us to do the same. And he does this by removing the sin that separates. See, we need to remember the first. We need to remember the peace of God, the gospel of peace that comes in and through Jesus in order to be able to walk in the reality of the second. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 say this, remember, remember this about yourself, that you were at that, at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that. But then remember this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. That's the greatest news in all the world. You don't have to go find it anywhere else. You can't fabricate it on your own. It comes to you in and through Christ. And in and through Jesus, you can now be a peacemaker. See, the only way for you to be at peace with God and the only way for you to be a peacemaker is for you to have a new heart, just like we talked about last week. And that comes when we come close to the King by faith. And when we come close to Jesus and we continue to walk with Jesus, the dividing walls of hostility in our lives are torn down, whatever those might be. Differences in background, differences in ethnicity, differences in socioeconomic status. Those walls are torn down because Jesus proclaims peace. 
differences and disagreements we may have with other people, just flat out sin in our life where we have not done something we should have done or we have done something we should not have done, whatever it happens to be, that wall of hostility that's been built up is torn down through Jesus. The second half of this beatitude says that peacemakers will be called sons of God. See, the reality of the gospel of peace is that those who were once enemies are now called sons and fellow heirs with Jesus, the Son of God. Our status changes with the gospel of peace because our hearts have been changed by the gospel of peace. You and I are able to be peacemakers because we are sons of God, and our peacemaking gives evidence that we are sons of God. But there's another aspect to this as well. Speaking of sons, I have two of them. Owen is six. And Isaac is just over two and a half years old. And they share a room together, uh, which is awesome and challenging all at the same time. Isaac, two and a half, he's still in his crib, uh, which we're keeping him in there as long as possible. Um, But on the mornings, they like to get up early. Owen the other day said his ideal day, he had to fill out this little chart, his ideal day started by waking up at 6.20 a.m. That's what he wrote down. I was like, dude, that's not my idea of an ideal day, but he's a morning person. Anyway. Uh, when they get up in the morning, uh, Owen will go get Isaac out of his crib. Um, I don't know the last time that Amy and I went in there and got Isaac out. Owen goes over and he, he lifts him out of his crib. And so allows us to stay in bed a little bit longer. They're supposed to stay in their room till seven o'clock, which sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. But we can listen to him on the monitor. We have, the, we have a monitor in their room. And, and every once in a while, what we hear coming through that monitor is Owen saying, no, sir, no, sir. <laughs> you can... Guess where he's heard that before. When I correct them if they're not doing something wrong, oftentimes I say, no, sir. In fact, the other day, uh, yesterday, when I was going through this sermon together, I had just gone through this illustration with Amy, and then like literally 30 seconds later, Isaac did something, and I said, no, sir. Like it just comes out for me, no, sir. But what do we see like father, like son, right? Owen sees his brother doing something he's not supposed to do, or at least doesn't want him to do, and so his response is, well, dad says, no, sir, I'll do the same. That's what part of this is getting at here when he's talking about being sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be a son of God is to take on the character of God. You exemplify that you're united with the peacemaker when you are a peacemaker. In other words, peacemakers seek to do what the Father has done for them, like Father, like Son. We take on the character of the King in His kingdom and we walk closely with Him. But see, here's the challenging thing. Here's the challenging thing for us in this. This also means that if you're a troublemaker and not a peacemaker, then you might not be a son of God. If the character of your life is marked more by sowing discord and disunity, dissension and factions and hatred, if you're a slanderer or a gossip, you're not a peacemaker. And if you're not a peacemaker, then Jesus is saying very clearly and very strongly that you might not be a son of God. See, what this beatitude communicates to us this morning is that you cannot be saved by grace and have your life not changed by grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now I live for him who purchased my peace and calls me and empowers me to be a peacemaker with the same peace that he's given me. I don't live for my kingdom anymore. I don't live for my rights and my laws and the things that I think should be most important in life. I live for Jesus and I want to follow him. And my Jesus is about peace. Peace with those around me. 
See, you and I are brought into Jesus' story. We're brought into his identity as a peacemaker. And we need to be reminded of our current and future promises of peace that come in and through him. It's why we gather together every Sunday. I just read something this morning just reminded us about the reality that what we do is pretty ordinary when we gather together. It's ordinary. We, we sing familiar songs. We have a, an order of service, a liturgy that we go through every week, and it's, it's pretty much the same. We talk about the gospel every week. It's pretty much the same. It's pretty ordinary when we gather together as the church, but let's not miss the extraordinary things God does through that. As we sit and we do these things, as we gather together and rehearse in ordinary ways the extraordinary reality of the gospel that brings us together. I want to be a community that's only explainable because of the gospel. Because of the reality that we have lots of differences and disagreements, but because of the peace of Jesus, we can be in relationship with one another. And so every week as we gather together, as we seek to sing and speak and preach this gospel of peace over one another, we're reminded through our liturgy, through our order of service, of this reality. We just did this a few minutes ago. We have something every week called the passing of peace. And this is significant. It's a time to look at people around you and greet them in the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ that was providentially and permanently purchased for you. The peace of Christ. To look at someone and greet them in the peace of Christ. When you, when you do that, when you greet each other in this way, you're proclaiming a gospel reality. The fact that we are brought together by the shed blood of Jesus. You're acknowledging the fact that any separation that exists between you and God has been overcome through Christ and that any separation that exists between each other can be overcome through Christ. See, we're not only reconciled to God, but we're able to be reconciled to one another. Pursuing peace with others is one of the best ways to actually testify to the reality of the gospel because there is no other reason, there is no other way for you to be at peace with people you're at odds with except Jesus. But we don't just speak peace in the middle of our gathering. We speak peace at the end as well. We do a benediction every week as we gather together. And at the end of that, I always say to you, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Why do I do that? Because that was the greeting that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was resurrected. He came and stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. And this is a common greeting in Jesus' day. But it had new significance and new meaning coming from the lips of a resurrected king. Peace be with you. It's the most significant thing he could say. You were enemies of God in turmoil and darkness, lost and enslaved, but now I speak peace because I purchased it for you. So at the end of the service, when I say peace be with you, I'm proclaiming the last gospel truth over your life before you walk out into the world. When I say peace be with you, I'm saying brother or sister, leave knowing that the shalom of Jesus has visited you and that anything that comes at you this week, you're going to be okay because Jesus is king. You and I can be peacemakers only when we receive the promise of peace from the King of Peace. But again, so often we fall short. As I said, I'm struggling right now in my own life in this. And as I reflected on where I'm weak in this this week, God's grace visits me in that and says, yeah, you're struggling, but you're a peacemaker in process. Because Jesus isn't done with me yet. And that gives me hope. And I hope it gives you hope as well. It's not natural to be a peacemaker in the way that Jesus is speaking of, but that's why I need Jesus. Being a peacemaker in process means that I need the peacemaker all the more. I'm desperate for him. And I want Sojourn to be a community where you can be in process. You can be in process. We're not here to be perfectionists. We're here to be in process with one another. And in this case, be be in process to be peacemakers. 
So this leads to our fourth point, the possibility of peace. The possibility of peace. Peace is possible when we're following the king of peace. And so if I want to continue to grow to be a peacemaker, I do so by coming close to the peacemaker and learning from him. See, a peacemaker is someone who is reconciled to God and knows God is for peace and then seeks reconciliation instead of strife and war. I long for us to be a community marked by peace because what that means is is that we're being molded and shaped to be more like the king of peace and we're giving evidence to the fact that we are part of Jesus' inverted kingdom. Sojourn, this is hard. And it's particularly poignant and hard right now because we've gone through hard things as a church. We've gone through relational challenges and difficulty, division, and disunity. But listen, peace is possible. Peace is possible in your life because Jesus speaks peace over your life. Peace is possible in your marriage. Maybe right now you are at the very end and you're thinking, no way, I'm done. Did you hear the words of Christ to you this morning? Peace is possible in your life. Peace is possible in your marriage. Peace is possible in this church. Peace is possible in our community. It's possible in our world because Jesus is king. So let's pursue peace. Peace be with you and also with you and also with you and also with you. It's possible because Jesus has purchased it for us. And so in society and the kingdom at large, I mean the world at large, kingdom people, we lead the way. We lead the way in the charge for racial reconciliation. We fight against oppression and injustice in our world. We should be the ones defending the cause of the widow and orphan, but we don't do it with our fists. We come with a message of peace to do that. If we're going to be faithfully moving forward as a church, we must take seriously our call to be peacemakers, but it starts with one another. It starts in your home, and it starts in our church family. What does this look like in our community and our lives then? The reality of the gospel is that it brings a lot of different people together, and we all bring our mess with us. That makes things difficult. It makes things challenging. We're going to have issues with one another. We see this from the very beginnings of the church. The same thing is true today. We see oftentimes I think when there's a lack of peace, it's because there's a lack of patience. We lack peace in our lives oftentimes because we lack patience with people. Or we lack patience for the process of peace. If you live in a, in, a, in a house or an apartment, maybe it's a little bit older. Our house was built in 1956, and so uh, it's a little bit older of a home. And so uh, sometimes there's, there's cracks in the drywall as your house settles. You can maybe see that at times. But you can do two things. You can putty over those cracks and repaint, or you can replace the drywall or figure out if there's a deeper issue. But if all you do is just put putty on that crack, it's pretty inevitable that at some point in time it's going to crack again because you didn't fix the underlying issue. So I think oftentimes with our lack of patience, we can just put putty over the cracks where there's brokenness and difficulty instead of actually dealing with a deeper issue to pursue real peace. The process and possibility of pursuing peace may take a very long time in certain situations. Pursuing peace with one another in our homes and in our lives and our community can be painful and hard. The road to genuine peacemaking, whether in society or your marriage or your family or our church, can be slow and challenging. Because the reality is, wherever there's discord, there's at least two people involved. There's at least two groups of people involved in certain situations. And you cannot make anyone else pursue peace. You might want to, you might desire it, but you can't make the other person do it. And Romans 12, 18 is helpful here for us. 
In Romans 12, 18, the Apostle Paul says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you notice what Paul says? If possible, and as much as it depends on you, as followers of Jesus, recipients of the gospel of peace, we should pursue shalom as much as we can. This is why peacemaking starts with prayer. You can pray for your own heart and you can pray for the heart of the other people involved. And peacemaking also can start with taking small steps towards peace. I read a quote this week from another pastor speaking on this. It was so convicting and so challenging to me right now, and I want to share it with you this morning. He says this, If there is a rupture in one of your relationships, any relationship you have, or if there is someone who opposes you, don't nurse that grudge. Don't feed the animosity by ignoring and avoiding that person. That's the natural thing to do. Just cross the street so you don't have to greet them. But that's not the impulse of the spirit of a peacemaking God who sacrificed his son to reconcile us to himself and to each other. Peacemaking tries to build bridges to people. It doesn't want the animosity to remain. It wants reconciliation. It wants harmony. And so it tries to show what may be the only courtesy the enemy will tolerate, namely a greeting. The peacemaker looks the enemy right in the eye and says, good morning, John. And he says it with a longing for peace in his heart, not with a phony gloss of politeness that covers his anger. Brothers and sisters, who do you need to greet in the peace of Christ today? Who in your life right now do you need to take a step toward in the pursuit of peace today? I know there's someone coming to your mind right now. Maybe it's someone you rode over to sojourn this morning with. You'll see later today, or maybe you haven't seen in a few months. Who is that person? But let me also just give an important caveat. Peacemaking needs to be pursued with wisdom and in community. Because hear me on this. Deference to a tyrant or a bully in the name of peace is not peacemaking. It's slavery and abuse. True kingdom peacemaking is saying what you're doing or what you did is wrong, but I want peace with you. So sometimes situations are tricky and they're complex and it's not wise to go at it alone, but to be patient and slow and to seek counsel and wisdom from others. Even as I seek to pursue peace and relationships in my life, I'm not sure the path forward, but what I am sure of is that my God is calling me to be a peacemaker, even if I am a peacemaker in process. To close, I want to share some words from James chapter 3. So just listen to this this morning. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 18 The Apostle James says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May we be a people marked by wisdom from above, pure, peaceable, gentle, 
open to reason, full of mercy, impartial and sincere. And by so doing, may we see a harvest of righteousness sown in peace because we as Sojourn Church are a peacemaking people following a peacemaking king who one day will bring ultimate shalom and remove every ounce of relational mess that exists in our life and in our world. So that end, we can pray together. Lord, help us today to be peacemakers right now. And come, Lord Jesus, tomorrow and bring shalom again to your world. Amen. We're going to come forward now and take communion. And the communion meal is a meal of peace. We were once enemies of God, but now we're welcome to his table, not merely as friends, but as children. We're welcome to his table because we're at peace with him through the sacrifice of Jesus, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. I don't know about you, but I love eating meals together with my family, sharing food and sharing stories together. And so as you come forward this morning to eat the bread and drink the cup, I want you to look around you. Look in front of you, look behind you. This is your family. This is your family. And you're coming to share in a meal together and you're sharing in the story of grace that you are reconciled to God and to one another. So celebrate that. If you're not a follower of Christ, though, I just ask you not to come forward. Because the reality is, if you're not a follower of Christ, then you don't have peace with God. And if you don't have peace with God, eating the bread and drinking the cup this morning is not going to give you that peace. The bread and the cup testify to a peace that's already present. And so if you don't yet know Christ, if you don't have peace with God, we want you to have that. We want you to take Christ this morning to experience the grace that he gives you, the peace that he gives you, so that you can be reconciled with God. And if you have questions about what that means, we just invite you to be a part of this community. Ask someone around you. Come be a part of a community group. Come gather with us. We want you to know Jesus. But if that's you this morning, just hang out in your seat. Just pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're ready to become a Christian today, just tell God that. Tell him you're ready to trust in Jesus today. And then come tell somebody else so that we can walk with you in that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just come and I just ask that you would bring peace in our lives. Bring peace in our homes. Bring peace in our church. Bring peace in our city and our country. Bring peace in our world. Father, we pray that you'd enable us by the gospel of peace to be peacemakers, that we might be called sons of God. And our prayer also, Lord, is come, Lord Jesus, our King of peace. We long for the kingdom to be here in its fullness. We long for shalom to be restored. But while we wait, help us to keep our eyes on you, to come close to you, to walk with you, and to be marked by peace in our lives and our community for your glory and for the good of others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.